Good morning. Welcome to Ridgetop. Welcome back to some of you. You were away for winter break or you were traveling. And uh, my name is Robert, and I'm the lead pastor here, and really glad to, to see all of you. We're on the third of a little sermon mini-series that we've been uh, go- walking through, some different passages, and looking at some of the basics of church life. And I'm doing that as a lead-up to February when we will, as, mem- as a membership, we will reaffirm our church covenant. So these things that we're talking about, you're going to see those yet again in the church covenant, and it'll be a time for us to, to refresh our, our memories about what we devoted ourselves to. Um, the, the big idea in, in terms of uh, the basics of church is that you want to have right belief, that is the gospel, and right practice. Right? It's like, what do we believe and what do we do? So this is the big, the big idea. Um, and then we've been looking at mostly the, some of the basic practices. So if you think about it this way, um, it starts off with worship. Right? This, is, this is like the central heartbeat of the church, this worship of Jesus. In order to get that worship right, you've got to understand the gospel. So the belief, the right belief, then fuels this worship life in, in the individual Christian and also in the church. In the next week, we talked about word and prayer, how worship overflows into a desire to pray and to be in God's word. And, and we looked at John 15 and talked about how prayerful reflection on God's Word is how you abide in Jesus. So it keeps coming back to that abiding in worship of Jesus. This week, we're talking about fellowship and mission. Even the axes that these are on is purposeful. Word and prayer, more vertical interaction with God. Fellowship and mission, more uh, horizontal interaction with other people. So fellowship being your devotion, your commitment to your fellow believers in your local church who are on a mission to make disciples who make disciples, both in our neighborhood, our campuses, but also uh, among the nations. All of these are interrelated. Look at that. I got, that's, a, that's a new addition there. That's, um, the, you know, word obviously affects fellowship. Prayer obviously affects Fellowship, fellowship obviously affects work. like they're they're all interrelated, but it helps to pull them apart and think about them separately, and then kind of put them back together. Those five devotions of worship, word, prayer, fellowship, mission—that what makes up the bulk of our church covenant. We're devoting ourselves to those practices. So belief in the gospel in those five practices. We we said at the beginning of this series that. God has actively throughout history been working to create a people for himself, right? And that that people would come from all the nations. This is what he's up to. This is what we're up to. Cooperating with God as, as he is drawing together people into community and a community that's built around the gospel. The culmination of this people of God, you can, you can see a glimpse of it in Revelation, Revelation 7. Revelation is like a, a pulling back of the curtain and letting, people, letting John see uh, the, the, what's going on in heaven, right? So Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, 
and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So John gets this vision of this multi-ethno-linguistic people that are, that are from every culture, every tribe, every nation, every language group. And they're all worshiping in heaven. They're all worshiping uh, the triune God. Now, that's cool. That's pretty amazing. How on earth would God accomplish that? Well, in large part, through us, through his local church. Like, this is, this is his plan A. There is no plan B. That local churches are a community of missionaries that are on mission to reach their neighborhood and college campuses, if there's college campuses around, or to reach the nations. And so, again, this is what we want to be about because this is what God is about. If you're thinking, I don't know if we're up to the task, um, we're not. I mean, apart from God, we are not up to the task, and neither were the first Christians. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the first disciples were, were not likely to begin a multi-ethno-linguistic movement that would span the whole world that they didn't even know all of the world that existed. They were very unlikely. They were foul-mouthed fishermen, and, and they were uh, political zealots and shady tax collectors. Like, like, these were not the cream of the crop. But this is indeed who Jesus chose. We can see his recruitment of a few of them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Verse 18 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, talking about Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So these are four of the twelve that Jesus recruited as his kind of core team, his launch team uh, for this multi-ethno-linguistic movement that was going to take over the whole planet. And they're just some ordinary guys. They're just out there fishing, and they knew Jesus uh, beforehand. We know from John 1 that he'd had some interactions with these guys, but this is a, this is a very intentional moment where he's inviting them in some different ways. So he, he's inviting them uh, to himself. Notice he's saying, follow me. He, he's not giving them any real teaching yet or any uh, strategies or techniques. Or in, it's, he's, he's looking them in the eyeball and saying, you follow me. It, it's centered on Christ. Just like we said earlier in the five devotion uh, scheme there, it, the, the center is the worship of Jesus. And it was like that from the very get-go. And he tells them, follow me. He's also inviting them to a community. He's inviting them to join this little band <laughs> that's going to be the beginning of the church. And so they're going to be put in a, a team of people that they would have never gotten together <laughs> otherwise, except that they're centered on Jesus. These, these guys would not be hanging out. Um, they, are, they are very different in, in a lot of ways. 
And he's also inviting them from the beginning to a mission. So he's inviting them to himself, to, to this community, and he's inviting them on a mission. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of humans. And he leads with that. He's letting them know from the beginning, I'm going to make you disciples who make disciples. Um, and they sign up. Now, if, if you're a Christ follower, this is your story. You, in whatever way God deemed necessary, <laughs> called you to himself. And in particular, he called you to believe in Jesus. He's the gateway in, right, to knowing the triune God. And you centered your life by grace through faith on Jesus. But he also invited you into a community of other believers. And he invited you into a mission. If you didn't know you were invited to those three things, now you do. You are. If you've not yet believed in Jesus, you're invited to put your full trust in Christ this morning. We'll talk more about that in a minute. If you're a Christian and you've never been part of a local church on mission together, you're invited to be a part of this local church, in this neighborhood, among these campuses, on mission together. And, and this, is, this is what Jesus is up to as he's recruiting these first disciples and teaching them and training them. We'll look at the training here, or one of the trainings in Matthew 10. This Matthew 10 training Similar to what he does in Luke 10 with 72 disciples. Uh, it's nice that they're both chapter 10, so you can remember. Matthew 10, Luke 10. Um, and he does this pretty extensive training before he sends them out. And there's a lot in this training. As I, as I was looking at this more, I was thinking, well, we could just spend all semester on this. Um, but we're not. We're going to spend today on it. Um, here... Here's five things we're going to pull from it. Now, this just gives you some hooks to, to sort of hang what I'm saying so you don't get too lost. Um, so he's going to talk about commission. He's going to talk about community. Talk about concentration, coupling, and cooperation. Commission, community, concentration, coupling, and cooperation. And we'll explain these as we go. So first one is commission. Matthew 10.1, again, says he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This missionary community is initiated, is commissioned by Jesus. He's initiating this. This isn't something they came up with and said, hey, Jesus, what do you think? Let's start a worldwide movement. Jesus is the one initiating this. He equips them, even empowers them to do the mission that they've been given. Um, this is more intentional than the earlier descriptions of their interactions with Jesus. In John chapter 1, you see Jesus kind of doing hangout ministry with them. But here, he's being very specific. He's, he's commissioning them for ministry. He's doing this as um, an impartation, you might call it, of power. Like he's giving them the power. It's not that they're mustering up some kind of power to try to help please Jesus and go out and do the ministry. He's giving it to them, and they are receiving it. It is a true co-mission. At this point, he's not giving them any techniques or methods. I mean, he'll get, he'll get to some practical things, but he is only just transferring spiritual authority to those disciples. 
Now, one of the ways it's manifesting is they're having power over spiritual problems and physical problems that people are having. They're having power over the demonic, the, the spiritual problems, and they're having power over the physical, these, these physical um, problems. And as, as he's giving him that, he's giving them this ability to authenticate their ministry, all right? Now, he's training them up to do Matthew 28, right? Matthew 10 is just sort of lead up to Matthew 28, which we call the great co-mission, right? Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is a similar kind of thing where Jesus is, he has power and authority and then he imparts it to his disciples and he sends them out to, to do the commission that they've been given. So Jesus' long-range plan with these guys in, in Matthew 10 is not merely to make them miracle workers, but to make them disciple makers. That's what he's up to. Now that can include doing some miracles. And to this day, God is doing miracles through his church, that authenticate the message, and we'll talk more about this coupling of uh, the gospel. Um, and he, he, he is giving them this responsibility for this mission, but not leaving them without the authority to do it. Have you ever had a boss that's like, you have all this responsibility to do all these tasks, but they don't give you the authority to do it? It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. But if they give you the authority, they give you the right to, to manage people, they give you a budget, they give you everything that you need, you can take the responsibility and you can run with it. And this is what you can get from Jesus. You're getting authority. You're getting what you need imparted to you through the Spirit of God to actually be responsible for this mission that you're being handed as his disciples. Pretty exciting. Um, Notice that the disciples at this point, the only way they know they have this authority is if they go and try it on for size. Right now, right at, at this moment in Matthew 10, it's just a conversation with their leader and their teacher, Jesus, and he's saying, I give you the authority to do this stuff, and how would they know? They're going to have to go try it. They're going to have to go pray for some folks. They're going to have to do some ministry, and then the power is going to show up. Did they have the power before? Yes, they did. How do they know? Putting it into practice. And they do. And you can see, if you go back and read Matthew and, and Luke, um, they have a, a great ministry in Jesus' power. I feel like a lot of Christians in the U.S. are this way. right? We, we've heard teachings on the Great Commission or the authority that we have in Christ, and uh, we even agree with it, and we get excited about it on Sunday morning. Like, this is exciting. But you, you have to put it into practice. You don't know you have this kind of impartation of authority and power until you put it into practice. And again, the main thing Jesus is, is pre preparing his disciples and preparing us to do is make disciples. It's make disciples. He gives us the authority and the power to do that. It also means that prayer is a key component of being on this mission. If, if we need power and authority imparted to us in order to carry out this mission that we've been given, we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to pray. We're going to be dependent on God for everything that we need to fulfill the mission. You see this in the Luke 10 version of his training. Um, he starts off pretty early, verse 2. 
He says to the, the, the 72 at that point that are being trained up, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's, he's teaching them, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. And this is part of that ongoing impartation of God's uh, power and his authority to carry out the mission. This includes personal prayer, but also corporate prayer. Uh, some of you were part of our, our corporate prayer gathering this morning at 9.30. This is partly why we're doing this. <laughs> like, if, if God is going to show up in this ministry, we're going to see people in the neighborhood reach, people on campuses reach, made disciples, sent out. It's going to be because of Christ. It's going to be because the Spirit has come and imparted to us the authority, the power that we need to actually carry out this ministry. So we need to pray. You'll also, um, on the Slack channel, you'll get a little update of what we prayed for this morning. And hopefully that'll be a, a reminder. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pray again for these same things that we prayed for uh, on uh, Sunday morning. So that's commission. Second thing, community. Uh, Matthew 10, starting with verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and, the Ma and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sends them out in two-person teams. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you know that in part because in Matthew 10, they are listed in pairs. So these are evidently the assignments of the disciples. Who were, who were they paired up with? But also in Luke 10, when he's working with 72 to send out, it says in verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, on the surface, it seems like Jesus could get more ground covered if he sent them out one by one. But it's, it's not how it's designed. It's designed to be a community on mission. So even when he's sending them out to these different towns and villages, he's making sure they're together in at least uh, two people. Knowing this, you ought to be on the lookout for who you can team up with, both out in the world and in the church. What I mean about teaming up with people out in the world um, is finding the other Christ followers that are in your company or at your school uh, on your dorm floor, and working together with them to be on mission, whether they're in your church or not. Uh, I watched my son, Corey, do this when, this is, this is pre-COVID, when people actually went to a building for work, and uh, he was working for Oracle here in Austin, and he stumbled on a little prayer group of fellow employees that were praying every week. And so he started to gather for prayer with these employees. And, uh, and then they started kicking around some ideas. And they said, well, why don't we have like a weekly, we'll have like a pizza, free pizza thing, and we'll have someone share a short testimony, and uh, we'll feed them pizza, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, people started coming to this thing. People started becoming Christians through the pizza party, you know, where they're just sharing just a brief, just a brief little thing about who, who Jesus is, why does it matter, um, what does it mean to follow him, and it, it was happening in Oracle, what's crazy is Oracle was paying for it. 
or Oracle is like, if you guys want to have like a club of employees, you're welcome to. Here's a few hundred bucks. And so Oracle was buying the pizza and Jesus was getting all the glory. It's really awesome. Um, I'm watching this happen with my, my wife, Melanie. Um, she is a, a seventh grade school teacher at Keeling uh, Middle School. And, uh, and so she had bumped into a couple of teachers who were also Christ followers. And so then they started praying together. Uh, for just a short time, Wednesday mornings, then another woman uh, added, another teacher added. They've, they're inviting a couple more right now that haven't made it yet. But I can just see it happening again. It, th- there's this little community of missionaries that is, is raising up in Keeling Middle School. And that school desperately needs it. They need the gospel. The kids need the gospel. The, the teachers, the administration, they need the gospel. So, you, so you're looking for who can I team up with out in the world? Then you also want to look at who can I team up with uh, in the church. You, you, you're going to have a, a, a niche somewhere in Ridgetop Church, especially if you're a member, and it could be that you're working with kids ministry, you're helping with hospitality, you're doing uh, greeting, you're helping plan events, you're, you're, you're helping with some of the mercy ministry stuff that's coming in. Uh, there's a, a ton of stuff. Um, and so you be hunting those few that you can team up with on a regular basis and be working uh, on mission in a, a smaller community that's inside this larger community that is Ridgetop Church. <clears throat> Sorry. Part of that community piece is also generous giving, right? Like this is, this is part of how church works, is this cooperation whereby people are giving funds as an offering, and that offering is being uh, used for gospel ministry. Um, we are also part of some larger groups of churches that are doing the same thing, cooperating with each other. The Southern Baptist Convention is kind of like our national affiliation. Um, the, the Texas Baptist is sort of like our state-level affiliation. The Austin Baptist Association is more regional and we're giving some money to all three of those. Not much, because it, we're, we're brand new. But um, we are partnering and cooperating with these entities of churches who are also doing church planting and, and all kinds of uh, great ministry. So this whole, like, wor- working in cooperation with each other in, in community is a pretty big, big deal, pretty big part of uh, accomplishing the mission that we as a fellowship have been placed on. Um, the third thing is concentration. In uh, Matthew 10, verse 5, may sound a little strange, right? He says the, the, the 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you hear that and you think, I thought Jesus was coming for all nations. And yes, he, he is. At this point in his ministry, uh, he's sending the disciples to speak the gospel to the prepared peoples, all right? So the Jews are waiting for a Messiah to usher in the kingdom of God. So when those disciples show up with the message that Jesus has given them, which is the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is near, they know exactly what he's talking about. They know that they're saying the Messiah is coming, and he's going to usher the kingdom of God in, right? And this is like stage one of this unfolding narrative of eventually getting the nations as part of that kingdom of God. Now, that said, I think we can draw some principles here from that, that that every church does have to decide 
where they're going to concentrate. Right? And you, you, yes, you welcome anyone and you minister to anyone who comes across your path. You make disciples of everyone who comes into the doors. But as a church, in terms of your ministry, you, you have to focus. You can't do everything, especially in a, in a city. There's so many ministries and things we could do and get involved in, and we could be, you know, an inch deep and 10 miles wide in what we're doing. And so as a, as a church, uh, our understanding of God's calling on us is it's one, campus ministry, okay? So reaching out, not, not just the University of Texas, but ACC, Concordia, uh, Houston Tillotson, like, like other colleges as well. You say, well, why is that? Well, uh, partly because we're close to UT. We're even closer to the Highland Campus of ACC. Um, also, because your pastor and, and uh, my wife, Melanie, we have worked in college ministry for 30-plus years. Why? I don't know. We just do. <laughs> this is just what we've been doing, right? And we love that, and we feel called to that. And I'm 55 years old, and I'm, I, I don't think I can change, okay? So... Uh, as, as long as 19 to 25-year-olds are willing to hang out with me, I'm going to be hanging out with you and loving you and making disciples uh, out, out of you. Um, in addition to that, the neighborhood, right? The neighborhood around the church building, it is very unreached. We know that in part because we've knocked on a thousand doors <laughs> and passed out postcards and invited people to come and all the things. Um, there are very few Christ followers in this, the neighborhoods around here. And we're kind of on a fault line between North Loop neighborhood and Hyde Park neighborhood. So these are kind of our two neighborhoods and neighborhood associations that we're seeking to build bridges with and make uh, build relationships with. Um, and so we are seeking to, to, to bring the gospel to these neighborhoods. Now, does that mean you have to be in those neighborhoods to come to this church? No, of course not. Um, we're, we're, we're glad when anyone comes and joins in this community of missionaries. But just know that's going to be our concentration. We're going to concentrate on the campus. We're going to concentrate on these, the, the local neighborhood uh, around the church. Um, and, and again, what do you mean focus? Like the way we calendar, right? The, the way we spend money, the, the, the events we do and don't do. Right? These are the kinds of decisions that kind of filtering through that concentration. Um, even the fact that I'm going to end this little mini-series this week, and we're going to start our next sermon series called The Saints in ATX, which is going to be from the book of Ephesians next Sunday. Like, why are you starting a new sermon series next Sunday? Because college students are back this weekend, and they'll all be back next Sunday, and we'll start a fresh series, Okay. So this is what I mean when I say, like, there's a concentration, there's, there's a focus, there's some decisions that we make based on that concentration. Uh, summed up, and this is in our documents and website and things like that, we're centering on Christ, we're serving our neighborhood, and we're sending the next generation, right? And so th- this, is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're, this is what we're focusing on. And does that mean we're not doing anything outside that? No. God, God is always surprising us and bringing in new things, and so we're we're gonna we're gonna hold these in an open hand, um, but it gives us some sense of what we're focused on. The next thing is coupling. Uh, Matthew ten verse seven 
It says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Um, there's a simple strategy in here that Jesus is uh, revealing in this training. And that's the coupling of proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation and demonstration. Uh, the, the proclamation part, he's, he's saying proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. That's a, a kind of a nutshell way of saying the Messiah is here and he is bringing his kingdom. That, that's, that's what that means. And that it's near. You're not having to wait anymore. He's, he's here. It's near. We're, we're seeing God break into this world through his Savior King. Now, how would this sort of bedraggled group of initial disciples be able to be believed, right? You think James and John, like these smelly fishermen, they show up at this village. They're like, the kingdom of God is coming. It's near. And everybody's like, who are you? Dude, you smell like fish. Like, well, they have to have a demonstration that is tied and coupled to the proclamation, right? It'd be like me saying, I'm here on behalf of the President of the United States. You're like, oh, yeah, right. And then I pull out my credentials on my ID and I go, see this? Right? That's my demonstration of what I'm proclaiming. And so the disciples are being trained that they have a demonstration that's coupled to their proclamation. Their demonstration authenticates what it is they're saying about the truth of the gospel. Now, again, that demonstration is this meeting of needs. Sometimes these are called felt needs. Like People are hurting. They've got spiritual problems. They've got physical problems. And they, the, the disciples are meeting those problems. They're evidently also meeting some monetary problems. He's like, freely you've been given, now freely you give. And so they're, they're also they're, they're taking care of just some ordinary needs. And this is the, 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 the demonstration. Um, this is especially powerful, this kind of demonstration, uh, in what we might call an animistic culture, where they're seeing a, a demon or a spirit behind every bush, right? Their, their worldview is totally enchanted. It, it's not skeptical. It's not scientific. And to some degree, they're more right than the scientific skeptical, okay? I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying this is all they've got. They're looking at the world as this spiritual, animistic, kind of magical world. And so those disciples walk in there, and they're able to drive out demons, and they're able to heal. It says a lot, right? In our context, it can say a lot. And I, I've seen God demonstrate the le legitimacy of the gospel through some supernatural stuff. But honestly, in our skeptical culture, it often falls on deaf ears. It's, it, it's not, it does not fit the context because of the skeptical kind of scientific kind of thing. Although, I think people are getting to the end of their rope with some of their scientific secular kinds of solutions. They're realizing that the mighty scientist is not going to solve all their problems. You're not going to just be able to take a pill and it's every, everything's going to be okay. And so I think we are kind of moving into a, a, a new season where people are willing to entertain that there may be spiritual solutions to some of the problems that people are going through. This demonstration is also, again, I said this before, these, it's through basic meeting of basic needs. 
in an ordinary way. Uh, He'll say later in Matthew 10, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So here he's describing a scenario where a disciple would be giving giving water. In our case, hot coffee, but, but, you know, Water is a start. You know, you gotta gotta have some 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 kind of a start. Um, this meeting of ordinary needs by the fourth century was so prominent that the Roman Empire was really aware of it. Um, even to the to the point of a, of an emperor, the Roman Emperor Julian, uh, writing in the fourth century, was regretting the progress of Christianity because he was trying to get paganism back on the map. And this is what he said. He said, atheism, which is what he called the Christian faith, uh, because people were worshiping only one God instead of a pantheon. uh, And so he says, atheism, as in the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. The Christians were, were, had a very profound demonstration of the gospel that they believed. And you couple those together, it's incredibly powerful. You pull them apart, not so much. If all you do is proclaim and you have no demonstration, people are just like, you just want me to join your cult. Like, what, what is your deal? And if you only demonstrate and you don't proclaim, they're like, oh, you guys are really nice. Like, I'm really glad you're here in the community. You make it a better place. But they don't even know we have this message, right? But you couple them together. And it, it's an incredibly powerful way for the gospel to go forward. And then cooperation. Uh, this is the last one, Matthew 10, 9-15. He tells the disciples, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy... Let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now there's a lot there. I'm not going to get to all of it. But Jesus strictly instructs the disciples on these. It's like a mission trip, okay? So he's sending them out two by two. He's saying, don't take any money. Don't take an extra coat. I'm assuming they just left all that stuff with Jesus. Like, like I, I'm, I just envision him standing at the oak tree and going, just put it all right here, guys. <laughs> oh, Peter, is that an extra coat? Yeah, right here. Right. James, is that a debit card I see? Right here. And then they just go to the next town. <laughs> right? What do they do? They knock on the door. They say, peace of this house. And if, they're, if, the, if the person there is, like, willing to let them in and eat their food and sleep on their couch, they make that home base. And now, instead of a team of two, we got a team of seven or a team of 14 or however many people are living in that house. 
And, and so I would look at that maybe for the last 30 years or so, and I would think he's teaching them to rely on God for provision. I think that's true. I think he is teaching that. But he's also teaching them to cooperate with the people that they're reaching. This is crazy, right? Think about it. They're on a mission. They're a community of missionaries. They knock on the door. This person lets them in, and they're like, want to join our community of missionaries? You want to feed the team? Can we stay in your living room? Now, it was a more hospitable kind of a culture, but there's a principle there where you're drawing in those that were in the mission field and bringing them into the community of missionaries as quickly as possible. Partly because it's so good. like It's life-giving to be a part of this community of missionaries. I got this check in the mail this morning. I went and checked the mail here, and there's a little slot here that just... The mail just drops into the closet. It's kind of strange. Um, but I see this, this, this envelope. I open it up. It's from the Cromers. And the Cromers both became Christians in our church in Massachusetts as college students at the University of Massachusetts. And now, you know, they're, they're working jobs and, and making money, and they're about to have their third kid, or they have had their third kid. Um, and they are living in Paris, and I, I mean, it, they're crazy, right? But they're sending a check to Ridgetop Church to help us plant this church. Right? And so folks that were reached in the mission field are now part of the community of missionaries, even if it's by distance right now. This is how it works. This is how the, the mission is advanced. This is how it moves forward. And they're not the only ones that were reached in a cold, snowy place called Massachusetts that are sending checks to this church so that we can plant a church in Austin, Texas. And so you too, if you're a Christian, again, you're invited in to this community of of missionaries. Not just to attend worship services and go to small group, and although you, you should do those things, and those things are important for your growth, but there's something more that you're being invited into, and that is to be on mission together with this fellowship. Um, If you're a Christian, you've had someone demonstrate and proclaim the gospel to you, right? Like that that had to happen, be happening in your life for you to be a Christian. And that happened for me, right? Um, I heard the gospel through uh, different, different people, but it really clicked when a guy named Jay Meadows told me the gospel. I was a teenager. I was at a weekend retreat with a bunch of other teenagers. And um, he was a TCU baseball player. And I just thought he was so cool because he played baseball. And, and then he started talking about Jesus. And I was like, huh, you're, you're way into Jesus, like really into Jesus. And the more I heard him talk, the more I understood, like, this is more than just church attendance. This is, this is his whole life is centered on Christ. His, every part of his life has been surrendered. And he is surrendering to Christ. And, and so that, that clicked, it clicked for me through, through Jay Meadows. It, it was interesting because like five years later, I was a youth pastor. I was working with teenagers. I was at T-Bar-M Ranch, which is a, a place that uh, is outside of Austin. And I had a bunch of teens with me. And I, I see this guy that also has a group from church. And I look at him. I think, I, th- I know that guy. It was Jay Meadows. And so I was able to tell him, Jay, guess what? Your testimony to me, when I was like this punk in high school, I became a Christian, right? And he was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Um, But it's because of him being on mission 
to share the gospel with me. Then the, the, the second person that was super critical for me was Tom Westbrook. He was my college pastor. He hung out with me when, when I was 19 years old and told me about the gospel, what it meant to follow Jesus. Then he was my pastor when I took one of my, my second ministry job, and he trained me and equipped me. So many things I do now is because of Tom. What he taught me, what he equipped me to do. So I've benefited from that community of missionaries, and I've been a part of a community of missionaries for three decades. And I really hope, if you have not yet joined in here, that you will join in this community of missionaries that's centered on Christ and is seeking to serve this neighborhood and send the next generation. We're reminded of this every time we come to the table. You think about Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, the night before his death, he's in community. He's looking around at these disciples that he has recruited, and he knows that the only way that they're going to be able to be that community of missionaries that he envisions is he's going to have to go to the cross the next day. And so he takes bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He knows that in order to reconcile them to God and each other, he's going to have to pay for their sins. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He knows that through his death that next day, he's going to establish a new covenant community, a community of missionaries that has been unlike any other people of God up to that point. That this, this new covenant people are going to be filled with the Spirit of God such that they're all on mission for His namesake among the neighborhood and the nations. That, that's what He's talking about <laughs> when He's instituting that Lord Supper. And so we get to be reminded of that. We get to be a part of that uh, as we center ourselves on the gospel this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you. Um, For not only saving us, forgiving us our sins and reconciling us to you, adopting us as, as your children, but putting us in a family, and a family that is on a mission to make disciples, who make disciples, that that, that mission has been ongoing for the last 2,000 years, that we've uh, benefited from. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that initial group of yahoos that you recruited and imparted authority and power to. Um, and so, Lord, we are so grateful that we have benefited from that, Lord, and we want to participate in the ongoing mission um, that you've placed us on. And we admit to you, God, we, we don't know how to do it. We, we don't have the power to do it, the wisdom to do it. Um, we are going to need you to open doors gospel ministry in this neighborhood and among these campuses. And we're grateful for the ways you've already done that, but we're looking forward to the ways that you'll do that this year. Uh, Lord, as, as we take this bread and cup, we, we pray it would be another means of centering ourselves on, on Christ, uh, the, de- the, the, the crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and one day returning Christ. 
that this is who we'd be centered on and this is who we worship. Help us to do that, God. Help us to maintain that as a church, to not lose our way in regard to that, God, and that out of that uh, would come everything else. And so we pray your blessing over this time and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.